Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're wrapping up our series, Blind Spots, with a conversation on legalism with Jason Cook. If you don't know him, Jason is a husband, father, and the lead pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. I can't think of a better conversation to wrap up not only this series, but this year as I start maternity leave this week through the end of 2022. We are praising God for all of you who have listened to the podcast, shared it with friends, and left a rating and review on iTunes. Without you, this show would not be possible. We will certainly miss you during our break, so be sure to connect with us on social media at Journey Women Podcast and catch up on past episodes wherever you like to listen. Jason, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hunter, thanks so much for having me, sis. I'm glad to be here. This is so exciting. I think we've reached out to you probably two years ago and begged you to come on the show because you're a connection of Lauren Bowerman, who has been on the podcast many times, and she's behind the scenes on almost everything we do here at Journey Women. And she's a dear friend of yours. And she said, hey, if we could get one person on the podcast— I would recommend Jason Cook. So tell us a little bit about your friendship with our girl, Lauren. So first of all, Lauren is, and her husband, Matthew, by the way, incredible people. I met Matthew while I was in seminary, and Lauren and Matthew both were members of a church that I helped to start in Birmingham, Alabama. And over the years, before they got married, and even after they got married, just super encouraged by their love for Jesus and his church. And I have my soul edified when I think about where they are, what they're walking through and the ways in which Jesus is with them and they exude Jesus in everything they do. That sister is amazing. I love her and Matthew a lot. Yep, yep. We definitely would not be functioning here at Journey Women without Lauren. She has really carried Journey Women over the last couple of years behind the scenes because you and I, Jason, we are kind of in the same season of life, which is pretty chaotic. Let's see. Do you still have, are they still seven, five, 22 months and then one on the way? Or is it a little bit progressed, like since you've written your bio? <laughs> yeah. So that bio's outdated. So we're at eight, six, three, and any day now. Right. So literally, <laughs> we're in the same, in the the same, same boat. Exact phase. My seven-year-old's about to turn eight. I absolutely love knowing that. And you are the head pastor of a church that's in Atlanta, Georgia, correct? That's correct. Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Wow. Thank you so much for joining me in spite of the chaos of your current season, especially on a topic that you and I were just discussing 
it's a little bit obscure. It's a little bit of a tricky topic to address, especially in such a public format. But I thought it was particularly helpful for myself as somebody who trends towards being a rule follower and who loves to just do, 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 do. Mm. And then I think a lot of our listeners are that way as well. So we're going to talk about the blind spot of legalism. And For starters, I just always love to get a clear definition on the table so that we know what we're talking about. Let's get our semantics straight. So what is legalism, Jason? Yeah, good question. So I think uh, I would answer that in two kind of ways. I think one, in explicitly Bible or biblical way, it's when people believe that strict adherence to the law and its prescriptions made them right with God. So throughout the Old Testament and the New, you see people who have and hold the law as precious, which it is, but then they use their faithfulness, their strict adherence to it as the pathway by which they're made right with God. I would take that and sort of bring it into the 21st century and apply it. I'm thinking here specifically about my church. Legalism is when we attempt to be made right with God separate from Jesus. So I think whenever we are attempting to please God or be made right with God or even impress God apart from Jesus, I would categorize that as legalism. You know, for me, of course, I would say like, no, 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 like it's Christ alone, (laughs) like in Christ alone, my strength is found, you know, Mm -hmm. but then there's like these little legalistic tendencies that kind of creep in like we're talking about. So it's like, well, maybe, but also like in Christ alone. And then also maybe I need to do this, that or the other to maybe be a little bit more like (laughs) approved Mm -hmm. or maybe to be a little bit more righteous. Like, can you speak to kind of the gray area in between the black and the white where it's like, okay, I'm trusting fully in the works that I'm doing, you know, to try and be approved before God. And then also like on the other side, like, okay, it's Christ alone. Like, is there kind of a spectrum or are there people who may just have like legalistic tendencies that they may be unaware of? I don't know that we all start out with the heart's desire to be a, a legalist. I think I really believe this about everyone. I really genuinely believe everyone at any given moment is doing the absolute best that they can, given the information that they have in the places where they are. And so there is this tension between, hey, God, I love you. It's really mm. earnest. I want to please you. And I think what can happen really just as humans is we can tend to try to run and please God in our own strength and effort. Mm -hmm. And so I think legalism uh, in some ways is a really earnest and well-intentioned attempt to be obedient. But as Jesus does in the New Testament, he relocates faithfulness away from external activity and onto the condition of one's heart. And so I think that's where the gray area starts to get clear is when we begin to look at our heart and say, okay, what is my motivation for doing X, Y, and Z? Am I trying to win God's approval? Or is this out of a heart that overflows for affection for Jesus because of what he's accomplished for me? The heart really is just the issue behind it all. So Mm -hmm. what is the problem with legalism and why is it so bad? Like you said, you know, it may be stemming from a, a heart that desires to do right. So what's really the issue and what does scripture say about it? You know, legalism ultimately is a false gospel because it promises an avenue to God separate from Jesus. That, that's why it's so bad. I think it's the trap the Pharisees fell into. You know, you've got the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew and what the Pharisees uh, resolved in the time since the return to Israel was to never again 
fall away and depart from the law of God. So there was this wholehearted conviction and allegiance to the law of God. The problem was, is rather than seeing the law in the scriptures and the one that it pointed to, they saw the law in the scriptures as an end to itself. And so I think when we see our own activity in performance for God as an avenue to God, Jesus kind of gets left out of the equation. And so it, it can be a false gospel because it will lead us to trust more in what we accomplish for God mm-hmm. than what God in Christ has accomplished for us. And so I think it's tricky, right? Because again, we want to be obedient. We want to do what God's word says. There's blessing in obedience, but I think it comes down to this um, this idea of whose effort are we trusting, right? So mm. R.C. Sproul famously said that the gospel is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And are we trusting in what's what we earn for God or what God in Christ has earned for us? And so when you think about false gospels, Acts 4.12, um, when Peter is, is saying there's no name under heaven by which men are saved. I mean, if you read all of Galatians 3, it's, you know, the Judaizers believe that it was Jesus plus circumcision that led mm-hmm, to being made mm-hmm. right with God. And Paul is like, no way. In verse 21, he says, is a law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. So he's like, is the law in opposition mm. to the blessing of God? He said, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But he goes on to say that the law is a guardian until Christ comes, that we might be justified by faith. And so that declared righteous, that justification, is that the product of what Christ has done for us? Or is that the product of the string of quiet times that I've had over the last three Hmm. weeks? Mm. Is my faith in the finished work of Christ, when he said it was finished, he meant it, or is my faith in how many mission trips I've taken? or my mm-hmm. the right, quote unquote, right perspective review about this social or cultural or political or ideological movement. And do I consider myself a better person because my kids are in public school or private school or homeschool? Mm. Or am I right with God? And does God look upon me with blessing and favor because of what Jesus has accomplished on my behalf? And I think legalism robs us of the joy of freedom. And it binds us into a prison uh, and really kind of a hamster wheel of earning that we can't break out of on our own. Mm. I have so been a part of a community of believers that like trended toward legalism. And I remember the language that we even used to use. They would talk about other believers, brothers and sisters who were, you know, either legit or not. Mm -hmm. Like you're legit if you, you know, like you said, have a quiet time every day. And if you've got to share the gospel this number of times a week, you got to have this many verses memorized. Like, and that'll mean you are legit. Mm -hmm. But like what you're saying is we are only made legit before the Lord because of Christ. Like that was such a freeing revelation for me through reading Galatians really, and realizing, wow, we can still have some of these legalistic kind of trends in our modern day. So what are some tendencies or trends that we might notice in ourselves or in others who may be functioning legalistically? And how can we kind of discern and examine our own hearts to see if we're seeking to earn God's salvation outside of the finished work of Christ? I think I'll speak of myself and my own experience. That's the way a good pastor does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I don't want to presume that legalism shows up in the same way in all of us. You know, it presents differently and, and comes out in different ways. And for me, I tend to notice it in my repentance. So, you know, at, mm. at my home, we talk a lot about rupture and repair. So if you throw the toy and hit your brother in the head and he starts crying, that's been rupture. 
Repair is going and acknowledging what you've done, asking for forgiveness, and then the other person saying, I forgive you, right? So trying to teach my kids about rupture and repair in a similar way. Yeah, in a similar way as believers, there's this rupture and repair that happens when we are confessing and repenting of our sins. So hmm. repentance is not a one-time thing. You know, Martin Luther said it's a life, it's a lifetime thing. Christians are great sinners, but we're also even greater repenters. So when I go before the Lord, after I've just, I mean, blown it, there's arrogance or pride in my heart or I say an unkind word to this person or I'm driving in my car and a guy cuts me off and I literally murder him in my mind. So I go before the Lord and when I'm trending toward legalism, I'm slow to confess, I'm slow to repent and I'm slow to confess and repent because I don't fully believe that God is going to meet yeah. me in my sin with grace and kindness and mercy. Hmm. I also am slow to repent because I believe that God's love for me is based on my performance. So when I perform poorly, God's love for me wanes or somehow he's slow to forgive. And, and so when I'm trending toward legalism, now all of a sudden my prayers get longer. They get more elaborate. When I'm trending toward legalism, uh, I'm more self-deprecating. So I beat myself up while I'm confessing and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, well, I'm looking for my performance again, to justify God forgiving me rather than a good and gracious and holy God on his own prerogative choosing to forgive. And if I'm not careful, and I think this is the other thing about legalism that's so dangerous is I think if we're not careful to check our hearts, what will happen is that we will end up forgiving ourselves while never feeling true absolution from God himself. Does that make hmm. sense? Yeah. So rather, so when David in Psalm 51, he says, forgive me, O Lord. And he does something really interesting. The first thing he says is I've sinned against you in heaven. And then he says that I've sinned in these ways. David understands that his sin is first and foremost an offense an affront to God. So he goes before God to acknowledge that David is asking and seeking forgiveness for God. Sometimes legalism we can go and we might think that we're seeking forgiveness from God, but really we're saying, as long as I pray in these ways at this time for this long, using these words, then I can be forgiven. And so in my own experience, that's how I tend to see legalism creep up into my life. Mm. And I love how David in that Psalm 51 is what you're referencing. He goes on to say, like, create in me a clean heart. Like, So he's mm -hmm. going back to the heart issue, just like you talked about. And I think for me, where I see legalism popping up is when I am trying to work for rest as opposed to working from rest. Yeah, yeah, and so that yeah. pops up a lot as a mom, you know, like you were talking about like schooling options. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That Ugh. kind of stuff is what really keeps me up at night. And I always have to go back to, okay, what am I resting in? Where is my security? Is my security in like my ability to try and protect my kids from sin or from hardship or whatever? Or is my security in knowing that they belong to the Lord? Yes. Like, so let's work from that place of resting in who God is and what he's done for us toward whatever it is that he's called us to for the day. So, that's how I know I kind of start to mm. rest in things other than the gospel. But how does legalism really undermine the gospel? And what good news do we have that we can rest in, Jason? 
so many things. So I, I think going back to one of the previous questions, I think the heart behind, I think legalism and how we end up there, it, it, it starts out, I think it can be really earnest and well-intentioned way of trying to practice being with Jesus. I just want to acknowledge that it can be a very well-intentioned, earnest way of trying to walk with Jesus. But what legalism really comes down to, and it dovetails with what you just said, is control. Ah. Uh. How'd you know that was my problem? Because <laughs> it's mine too, sister. <laughs> it comes down to control. The world around us is crazy. There's so many things that don't make sense. There's so many things that feel and seem out of place. And when we can manage or when we believe that we can manage and control even small areas of our life, it allows us to make sense of the world. And in some ways, it allows us to make sense of God. The problem is when you've made these decisions and you've created these controlled environments, when things don't go as you want them to, it blows up your life. So I think legalism wants us, and in many ways, we get comfortable in these worlds we create, and they're fine as long as no one else or anything else encroaches upon them. Does that make sense? Yes. You're resting in the wrong thing. This is exactly what we were talking about. You're resting in the wrong thing. So I think succinctly, legalism says strive and the gospel says rest. Specifically, legalism says strive to feel right with God, strive to have control, strive to be in charge. And the gospel says rest in what Christ has accomplished, rest in what Christ has earned, rest in what Jesus has achieved for you. Legalism says try harder. Gospel says rest. Legalism says it all depends on you. Gospel says it all depends on Jesus's finished work. Legalism says perform. Gospel says trust in Jesus's performance. Legalism says you're not right until you do X. And the gospel says faith in Jesus makes you right. So one of them, it all depends on you. And if it all depends on you, then all of us are doomed. <laughs> the other, the gospel says it all rests and hinges upon this man named Jesus. And if that's what it all hinges upon, then that's what's reliable. That's what's true. And then life as a believer then becomes a practice to grow up into that and then surrender and submit those areas of control of our life to the Lord so that our lives are oriented around the ways and the practices of Jesus more than they are the things and the ways in which we control our environment. Thank you so much for that. Man, I wrote down legalism depends on you and the gospel depends on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, tattoo that on my forehead. <laughs> Me too, sister. I am so prone to wandering and to forgetting that life-giving, life-altering truth. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. 
Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. If we sense that we are doing what I do every day and kind of trending towards trusting in false gods, like false little saviors, mm-hmm. you know, other than trusting in uh, the finished work of Christ, what is the appropriate biblical response? Okay, so I tend to think in picture. I'm going to give a picture. So uh, so Noah in the ark, right? God says, Noah, hey, I want you to build this big old huge honking boat in the middle of the desert because I'm bringing <laughs> this rain. And Noah's like, okay, I'll do it. So Noah builds this big old boat. Rain comes, falls from the sky, comes up from the ground, and the earth is flooded. And everyone on the earth, everything on the earth, except for those inside the ark, are wiped off the face of the earth, right? So in in many ways, if we're taking a biblical theological approach to understanding the Old Testament, meaning that we take the narratives, the themes, the motifs, and the pictures in the Old Testament and see how God is building a story that culminates in the person and work of Jesus, Uh then you take the story of Noah's Ark and you apply it to Jesus and you see how Jesus himself becomes our ark. Okay. So you've got everyone who's inside of that boat is safe, right? Everyone who's found in Christ Jesus is safe. Safe from what? The waters that cover the face of the earth throughout the Old Testament. Water tends to signify judgment mm-hmm. and the the waters of God's judgment. So in the same way, Jesus passes through the waters of judgment. It's what we do in our baptism. We pass through the waters of judgment by the help and the aid of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to newness of life. So if Jesus is our ark and there's safety found only in him, then we need to be found in him. Mm-hmm. So in Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The entire New Testament is really aimed at people who feel this insatiable desire they've got to do for God. Mm in ways that their own righteousness is dependent upon. And so I would say if you're functioning legalistically, the biblical response is to be found in him. And once you're found in the ark, what you instantly realize is that that structure, that ark, that home is far more sufficient than anything that you could ever do. And so I think when it comes to legalism, sometimes we're going to have to have people point things, these things out to us because we do have blind spots. Uh, Shouts out to the series title. And (laughs) if and when we do wake up to this, I would say rather than creating another list of nine things you've got to do to respond to legalism, which is more legalism on top of the legalism you're trying to be set free from, be found in Jesus. Find yourself in him. Find everything in Jesus him ultimately a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. It just reminds me of kind of like nestling in there. Like I was talking mm. about that picture of rest, just nestling in like to the breast of Jesus and just resting on his chest. So that is such an encouragement to me. Mm-hmm. 
How would you suggest we approach other brothers and sisters in our churches and communities that we notice like, hey, you might be kind of trending towards resting in something other than Christ for uh, your right standing before God here? Yeah. Okay. Clarifying question. When you say communities, are you thinking are you thinking church? Are you thinking sort of like encapsulated communities? Let's go both, because obviously, you know, when we're thinking about like the instruction for what it looks like to do these things in the local church, it's going to look one way. So let's go local church and then let's branch out from there and say like, OK, now maybe it's just like your friend, your girlfriend in the neighborhood who isn't in your local church, but who, you know, and who you do life with regularly. OK, gotcha. So so it's it's really interesting. We just finished the sermon series here at Fellowship um, that centered on shame and anxiety. Anxiety. And um, and in the ways in which Jesus steps into addresses and then gently leads us in and through uh, our shame and anxiety. And one of the things I think as a pastor I'm noticing over the last couple of years is that legalism feels really safe when you're highly anxious. And legalism is it can feel very comforting when everything else feels really, really scary. That's so interesting because that's like what we've seen culturally. I feel like the polarization of different kind of Mm -hmm. ideas like that, it seems like it's gotten more amplified with things like COVID and like all of the just turmoil that we've experienced politically and things like that over the last couple of years. 100%. I mean, we went from your neighbor being someone that you would you know, have dinner with and share a pool with and, you know, watch your kids to now all of a sudden your neighbor could literally kill you with this silent disease. We we went from trust is in short supply and anxiety is super high and you just never know with school shootings and et cetera. You just don't know. So I'm thinking about your home group mom cohort, right? Like it makes so much sense to me why there would be such high anxiety. And that's just cultural stuff. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what they've dealt with in the past. I don't know what their marriages are like. I don't know what difficulty their children are giving them. So I say all of that to say, like, for those of us who see legalism creeping into the lives of those we love, it is not the time to be judgmental or harsh. It is the time to preach grace and be gracious. And when I think about those who might be in a sort of trap of yeah. the cyclical works righteousness, I'm, I'm just thinking that ultimately it's the spirit of God that's got to convict and lead because there are so many people who are never wrong. Like, well, I know some of the, some of my friends who trend toward legalism, they're never, they're never wrong. They are, they never get anything wrong. They are perfect. And at that point it's, you can't really do much at that point. So I think, I think we preach grace and I think we, we are grace because we preach grace. We don't give lists to people who are list obsessed. You preach grace (laughs) because it combats our tendency to perform, strive, and accomplish. And then we are gracious because we're reminding them of the work that Jesus credited to them. And then the last thing that I say, Hunter, is like, yo, like real talk, be really faithful to not be impressed by the external works of people. Work really, really hard to not be impressed with what people are giving you and showing you. Because, I mean, it's the social media age. Mm. Everybody's trying to put on, like, we were literally just preaching out of Mark 1 this past week. And this leper comes to Jesus. And this leper cannot hide his brokenness. His hair is unkempt. His clothes are torn. He's got his face covered. He's got boils Mm. on his body. And when we have blemishes and issues in our life, 
we go put some makeup on, we buy a new outfit, some new shoes. We we might go to social media, post a highlight reel and give the external appearance like all yeah. is well. But really, man, things are messed up. So the best thing that we can do is not be impressed with people's external acts of work so that we can get to the heart and see the heart and see the areas where they're trying to fill the holes and the gaps in their hearts or medicate their anxiety Mm -hmm. with this control. And then we can gently direct and point them to the ways that Jesus fills those gaps. Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, for me, I definitely trend towards that truth oriented, like personality type. You know, you kind of have like your grace people and your truth people, like mm-hmm. they kind of trend towards one or the other. I'm the truth. I'm also the put together, the type A. You know, I hate confessing this stuff. Jason, why do you make me do it in front of all these people? This is the spirit. It's not me, sis. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to tell you, one of the things that I see myself doing when I'm around like a really careful bunch, I start to try and perform even more. But right now I'm in a season where I can't. Like I like physically can't, mm-hmm. Jason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, somebody the other day said, they texted me, they said, you looked frazzled today. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that hurts. That really hurts hurts just because that's the opposite of what I want to present as. And then I start to want to isolate and hole away in my house so that nobody can see me when I'm like Mm. struggling, you know? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when I'm in that environment, I have to remind myself, like, let yourself be seen in your need. Mm. Like, just let yourself... Get out there in that careful crowd and just be okay not to be okay. And sometimes, like you're saying, like that is like a testimony in and of itself of like the freedom that we can have to look a little bit frazzled, you know? Yes, 100%. (laughs) First of all, sister, let me just say and acknowledge that you confessing sort of the dark side of your own heart. Uh, on a podcast where hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people are going to listen to is a really brave thing to do. Let me also acknowledge that. Let me also acknowledge that it could perhaps, and I don't know your heart, also be performative in the same way that that truth-centered way that you tend to operate out of could be. So I want to acknowledge that as well, because we are not one or the other thing. We are a mixed bag of things in the same way that I am both currently pastoral and performing, because that's in me too. Like, as you talk, (laughs) I'm thinking, yep, absolutely. That's me, 100%. And, And I'm thinking of the rich young ruler, and there's something really there's a subtle thing that happens uh, when Jesus tells this rich young ruler to give away uh, all of his possessions, sell them and give it to the poor is that he walks away sad. Now there are two really important things that happen at the back end of that narrative. One, his disciples can't understand how this man who's got it all together, who's wealthy and wealth in the ancient Near East equals righteousness. So this man is righteous. So if anybody's going to heaven, it's him. All of this ragtag bunch of fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors, like we may not get in, but that guy, he's getting he's in. He's definitely, right. he's making it through the gates. And then Jesus steps in and Jesus is like, nah, like, I'm moving the goalposts. And so they ask, like, who then can be saved, right? The second thing that happens is the rich young ruler walks away sad. Yeah. Presumably he walks away lonely. And I think in terms of uh, truth and grace, uh, there there is a tension between the two and we're called to be both. But I think the journey, the end goal, the destination is faithfulness. And mm. a product of that is community rather than loneliness because mm. we're lonely when we hide. 
Mm. We're lonely when we don't have intimacy and people don't know us. We're lonely when we're putting on airs. And you may feel, and I do this, let me speak about myself. When I feel like I've out-earned somebody, I'm like, yeah, I'm better than them. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> like, that's what's in my heart. Like, I'm better than them. But I'm also by myself because if I don't practice letting people see all the broken bits, mm -hmm. then I'm never fully opening myself up to be loved. And I think that's potentially one of the things that legalism can get us to is the point where we hide, hmm. we put fig leaves on and we run from yes. God and we run from others rather than showing up broken and frazzled and showing up <laughs> like hair looking bad. You ain't put makeup on. Maybe it's been a couple of days since you took a shower. Your house is a mess and you're just like, I'm a hot mess express. And like somebody shows up, steps into that mess and says, I love you anyway. That yeah. is, I think, on the other side of legalism. That's the blessing. Uh, how can we avoid the pitfall of, you know, and now I'm asking for a stinking list. There I go again. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Just speak to that. Look. Speak to that. Like we want to avoid it, you know, and, and we want like I just I would love to have a list. You know, how can we confidently kind of rest in salvation by grace through faith alone while also seeking to live in obedience to the commands of the Lord? Yeah. So have you ever seen that meme? where it's like what you thought success looks like and it's an arrow, <laughs> straight arrow to the right, and then the other side, what success really looks like. Yeah, uh, yes. The Christian life is far more the squiggly line spaghetti pathway to success yeah. than it is the, the vector up and to the right. And so <laughs> you're, I'm not going to give you a list. One of the worst things that you can give someone who wrestles with legalism <laughs> is a list because Darn they, it. <laughs> because they will use that. And listen, yeah. let me just acknowledge that some people, uh, you referenced type A, some people are just uh, far more orderly. They're linear in their thinking. Lists right, are right. very comfortable to them. But comfort can often lead to autopilot where our hearts are disengaged. And so I don't want to give a list. I think it's so simple and so profound, and yet it takes a lifetime to do, and it's messy, and it's full of fits and starts, and, and, mm. and it's not efficient at all. But it's what I would say is in all things, look to Jesus to be mm. found in him. That that's that's the answer. Surround yourself with people who aren't impressed by what you perform, accomplish, or look like, who see and are willing to look past the externals and actually ask good questions about your heart because they are looking to Jesus and Jesus is looking right past what you look like on the external. He's looking at the internal because what does God do with David? Uh, man looks on the outward part, but God looks at the inward part, the heart, and all things look to Jesus and avoid putting lists together. Now, let me say this. List can be helpful. And if you're going to make a list, keep it simple and find a way to engage your heart in it. That would be my counsel. But you're exactly right. I think the more <laughs> that we fall in love with Jesus, look mm. to Jesus, believe on him, act on his words, we're transformed into him. And we look up one day and we are so much further down the line than we've been. And yet we never arrive until we stand before his presence with unveiled, unshrouded faces, with the new bodies and new minds and, and seeing God face to face. That's when we'll be done. But until then, we've got to look to Jesus in everything we do. Mm, I love that. I used to have a pastor in Georgia, actually, Brad Evangelista. Do you know him? He's two hours south of you. No, I don't. 
He is so great. And he was on the podcast in the early days. And every sermon in some way, somehow he would say with tears, just look to Jesus, look to Jesus even now. And I'll never forget that. So, all right, here's my list. Number one, step one, <laughs> look to Jesus. That's all I got. What other resources would you recommend for anybody who's listening that wants to just dig a little bit deeper into this topic? It could be a biblical passage. It could be a book. It could be a podcast. It could just be look to Jesus. Do you have anything else you'd recommend? Yeah. So there's two. I, I think uh, one of them is uh, it's a Biblical Theology by Elise Fitzpatrick. It's entitled Found in Him. And one of the reasons why I'm so captivated by the thought of being found in Jesus is in part because I read that book almost 10 years ago. And the way she pieces things together was just really, really helpful for me in the way that my brain works and Mm. the way that I tend to understand theology. Uh, But the second one's a recent book I read during the pandemic when I started counseling was The Return of the Prodigal Son. Uh, by Hmm. Henry Nouwen. Not even joking when I say this, it's the most consequential book I've read in the last 20 years. Wow. In part because of the invitation that the prodigal father gives to his wayward son of come home in all of the ways Mm. that that's profound. And, And what I would say to those who wrestle or struggle with legalism, like, you can't impress the father, outperform the father, nor should you stay away from home. You should just come home and enter into the joy of the father. So that book, Game Changer, incredible. Henry Nouwen's the man. I would recommend both of those. I'm so excited about that. I've been thinking about that parable the whole time you've been talking, and the Lord's really been using that just throughout this whole series, to be honest, about blind spots, you know, in the conversation about forgiveness, unforgiveness that we had with Benita Reisner. So I will definitely look into that. And yeah, let me ask you this. When we're talking about found in him, um, is this really kind of the theological concept of like union with Christ? Hey, is that- yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that language is very, um, comes from uh, the reformers, specifically John Calvin. But I think mm-hmm. down the line, it's it's been transferred to understand the very real marriage of Christ and his church. But more than marriage, Luther called it a union of faith. So when you think about it, like when you got married, uh, you put a ring on your husband's hand, he put a ring on your hand, that ring symbolizes the covenant you two are making that day, right? What it also symbolizes is what belongs to you now belongs to him, what belongs to him now belongs to you. It's probably, it's one of the reasons why, like when I come home and my wife has my shorts and my shirts on, like I can't get mad because it's not mine anymore, (laughs) it belongs to her. You're one. And when you think about what the gospel is and the great exchange of the cross, it's Jesus taking upon himself what belongs to us and then conferring upon us what belongs to him. And when you're found in Christ Jesus and your union with him, when you're married with him and his church, then you get that reciprocity, you get that intimacy, but you get the freedom that corresponds with that because you're in him. Like located in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Mm. That's some good stuff. One of my simple joys. Thank you for helping us make so many connections just with, I guess, life 
and practice and then theology. That's just like, that's why we do this podcast. And it's been such a helpful conversation. Definitely one of my simple joys. Another question that we ask every guest who comes on the show is what are your three simple joys? And it's kind of evolved over time, Jason. It used to just be like, you know, you could just do your basic oh, coffee with, <laughs> you know, froth. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, now, yeah. Pumpkin spice latte. We just keep going deeper and deeper on Journey Woman, which is one of the joys of the last five years. But um, what are your three simple joys when it comes to walking in the freedom that we have been talking about in this conversation. What are your three simple joys when it comes to walking in the freedom that we have in Christ? Hmm. I, I think, um, I, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a holy optimism. I don't allow things that I see or experience to get me too down that mm. I'm allowed to be optimistic about tomorrow, despite how crazy everything around us is. And it feels like the world literally is on fire. I've got a holy optimism. I would say that's a joy of mine, not burdened overly by pessimism or nihilism. Like I'm just, I just believe that Christ will accomplish what he said that he would do. I think I'm also in the same breath on the other side of that coin. I think I'm free to grieve without fear of reprisal or repercussion. For a long time, I was afraid of God and felt like if I were to grieve and be honest about how I was feeling, that I was going to be punished for it. And I think one of the freedoms and joys I'm walking in is like, no, I can be honest about where I am, what I'm experiencing, what I'm walking through. And God will not forsake. He will not abandon me. Wow. Um, third, I would say I'm, um, I love people. I love people. I love people that don't love me. And there's a lot of folks that don't love me, but like, I am so free of hatred. I'm so free of bitterness. Wow. I'm so free of resentment. I'm so free of having my brain space taken up by those who would disagree with me politically, theologically, or otherwise. Like, I'm so free to love because there's nothing that anyone can say or do to me that changes how Jesus feels about me. And I'm so secure and confident in what Jesus believes and says about me that like, I, you know, you can say what you want about me, but I might think about it for a little bit. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm going to love you so hard. And it bothers people. It really does. <laughs> like, I know what you said to me. I know what you wrote in that email. I was standing right behind you when you said that. You know what? I'm going to love you anyway. I'm free to do that. I'm not bound in a prison of, yeah, hatred or bitterness. Yeah. And, and that's a that's a joy to me. Oh, this is such a great conversation just for me. And I know all the listeners are feeling the same way, but I have to say, when people ask me, like, what brings you joy about doing the podcast? I'm like, man, every one of these conversations, this is me getting discipled in the closet. And, you know, because I am in my closet, for those who don't know. <laughs> and I am so grateful. This is a standout for me, Jason. Thank you so much. This is going to have an impact on the way that I understand walking in grace. I'd love to hear from you as a journeyman on the Journey Woman podcast. <laughs> who has had the greatest impact on the way that you understand this concept and reality of walking in grace? Yeah. So, well, sister, it's been a joy to be with you. Um, so much of what I've said is is mediated through the experiences I had while being discipled by a man named Jonathan Rainey. When I was in college, I was a college football player and I was on a leadership team of Fellowship mm -hmm. of Christian Athletes while I was in college, and mm -hmm. my disciple maker caught me in grievous sin, and he had the opportunity to crush me. I am, I am. If, if I'm a, if I'm a dog, I am paws in the air, belly up. I like, mm. I am at your mercy, and the way that that brother responded to my great sin with grace and love, it mm. transformed me. 
to the point where like I text him every so often. I'm like, brother, I would not be where I am without you. And so I'm wow. super grateful for your for your influence. But the way that he responded in grace and was faithful to walk with me through it all. Yeah. Jonathan Rainey, who I call Big Play affectionately, that brother has had the biggest impact in my life spiritually, for sure. Wow. I want to be like Jonathan Rainey. Mm. Thank you so much for that exhortation, for this conversation. It's been a joy to have you on the show. That's my pleasure, sister. Thanks for having me. On a personal level, this has been such a helpful series. I pray that the Lord has used it in your life as well. Thank you for humbly considering the blind spots that you're maintaining. We pray that this will be an opportunity for you to bring those before the Lord and before friends in your local church context, simply to ask for their help. We are so grateful for all of you who have shared and reviewed the Journey Women podcast. If you haven't done that yet, please take a minute to share why you like Journey Women on whatever platform you're using to listen. Reviews like that really do help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it helpful as they journey to glorify God. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Again, this is the last episode of 2022. Lord willing, we can't wait to see you here next year.